Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And before we start the podcast today, I'd just like to let everybody know that we've been busy, busy planning our year. And 2019 is going to have lots of travel f- for the Anecdote team. And we've set a bunch of public events all over the world. And if you go to our events page www.anecdote.com forward slash events you'll be able to see all of those events and hopefully we'll see you somewhere around the planet and speaking of travel uh sean you've been on the road yes i have i've been out recording uh some of our customers telling stories that we can play back to you to end the podcast uh in the next coming weeks and um yeah i'd like you to introduce you to our first guest for the day My name's Jill Roche, but most people refer to me as Jilly. Um, well, those that are familiar refer to me as Jilly. Uh-huh. I work for World Vision Australia, so part of a, an international uh, not-for-profit NGO organisation, but um, focused in their Australian operations. And my portfolio is corporate affairs, which is a whole bunch of stuff and usually requires some sort of explanation, but it's generally functions that are focused on promoting and protecting our brand and reputation and identity. Fantastic. Of course, you know, we've known each other for a while now, haven't we? You know, sort of doing uh, projects over the years and uh, lots of interesting uh, story programs, which has been fabulous. Um, And, you know, with with this podcast, uh, Jill, we're we're always looking out for just, you know, stories that people tell in an organisational setting. And uh, I know you've got one to share Mm. with us. But it might be useful just to give us a little bit of context, you know, like what do we need to know to understand this story? Sure. It's a small story, but I think it's a it's a good illustration um, of the opportunity for demonstrating leadership through storytelling, and in particular, demonstrating leadership through making mistakes and Lovely. bringing those to life through a story. So, mm-hmm. um, September last year, there was a huge earthquake and tsunami that hit Sulawesi in Indonesia. One of the aspects of World Vision's work is we respond to humanitarian and emergency affairs. So as soon as the earthquake and tsunami hit, we reached out to our colleagues who are based in Indonesia to check if they were okay and to find out what the impact was. On the basis of that, we pulled together an emergency response team, decided we would appeal to the Australian public to raise funds, and we'd send a pretty high-profile contingent, if you like, from Australia to Indonesia, and that included our chief advocate, Tim Costello. The idea behind that was... Um, A, our staff on the ground would feel, uh, you know, their colleagues are working alongside and for and supporting them in their response locally in Indonesia, but also to garner media and um, political and financial support for the response in Indonesia. So it was pretty full on, very busy time. It always is in an emergency. And that's one of the things World Vision does really well. Everyone knows what their role is in an emergency, but it's full-on, flat-chat, 24-7 kind of work. Um, so it's it's a pretty intense kind of working environment oh, yeah, to be. Yeah, just imagine. Yeah, and information flying around all the time, often chaotic, not confirmed, needing to be confirmed. You know, before we reach out to our supporter base to say, hey, support us in this response, we have to be clear what we are doing on the ground, what are we raising funds for, how will their money have an impact, and um, we have to make sure that we're aligned with governments and all of those sorts of things. So there's a lot of steps, a lot of information and a lot of communication that happens, and it's it's tiring for staff that are involved. In the midst of that, we had lots of um, 
I guess, offers of encouragement, support, prayers coming in from supporters, from partners and from our board. And in particular, one of our... um, one of our board members, who also happens to be our international board chair, reached out and said, hey, I feel like you guys are doing so so much work there. I want to come in and just be in the building, be present so that staff know that their board is supporting the work that they're doing. We acknowledge, you know, you're responding to an emergency while you're doing all your normal work that you'd have to do as well. All the other stuff we do doesn't stop just because a tsunami hits. It just increases. And so she's based in uh, another state and she said, let me fly in to Victoria where your head office is. Let me just, you know, be in the building, be with staff. I don't want to make a big fuss about it, but um, let me let me come and, and I'll do that in the next kind of 24, 48 hours. Anyone that works... Uh, in an organisation knows that it's a rare opportunity to have close proximity to your board directors, particularly for staff. Yeah. You know, if you work in the governance space like I do, you get to you get to meet the board uh, periodically and spend time with them. But for staff, that's a really unusual experience. And so we wanted to make sure that we maximise the opportunity that came with having this board member in the building. And we weren't just going to let her turn up and, you know, kind of find her way around. We wanted to put some stuff in place. But that meant I had to put a lot of pressure on my team to get a full day's agenda sorted. We needed a staff town hall scheduled. We needed to do a bunch of things to maximise the the value of having her in the building. And we had to do that while we're still managing all the emergency response communications. So my team did an amazing job and they pulled together a whole sequence of events and activities for her to be involved in. And they sent an invitation out to all staff saying, you know, great news, she's going to be in the building, meet us at this time, blah, blah, blah. I, in my flurry of activity, didn't pause long enough to think before I hit the reply all button that my response would go back to everybody in our entire organisation. <laughs> so right. uh, in an effort to want to praise my team for pulling stuff together, I hit reply all and wrote, wow, this has turned into a whole big fancy thing now. That went to every single employee in the building. And I paused for about 10 minutes. Then the emails started coming in. Do you realise that you've responded to everyone? And did you know everyone was kind of sending me messages back? And so I sent back a formal reply and said to everyone, yes, I acknowledge I hit the reply all button. That message wasn't intended for all staff. Please disregard. And kind of had a very formal tone to it. Right. But then later that day, I kind of thought it's a really, it's a missed opportunity if I don't do something with that. It's highly visible internally. I've made a mistake and I can't just drive past it and pretend it didn't happen. I need to do something with it. So the next day she arrived and we had the town hall and I was um, the MC, but I was also asked at the last minute to step in for my colleague who was in Indonesia and I needed to share a story about why I worked at World Vision. I had to pull it together that morning, 6am, typing up notes about why I work at World Vision. And it kind of struck me that the response that I had received the day before from our staff when I'd made a mistake was actually illustrative of one of the reasons why I work at World Vision. So I did a little spiel, um, but then I kind of paused and I asked the audience if they were aware of the mistake I had made the day before. And I asked the audience, there's about, you know, a few hundred people sitting in our auditorium and dialed in, and then I asked people if they were ever nervous about making a mistake at work and just kind of 
paused for a little bit and then I offered to lighten their load by poking fun at myself but also sharing the gracious responses I got from people the day before. When I did make a mistake, the emails I got weren't, um, did you know you did this wrong? The emails I got were, are you okay? That must have been embarrassing. Is there anything I can do to help clean up? Now that you've got that organized, is there anything else that we can do? And I just had messages of encouragement and support, which showed real, I think, compassion and grace that exists in our workforce. And, you know, when being able to share that in a town hall and say, it's it's terrifying to think that you're going to make a mistake. If you are in charge of communications for the entire organisation like I am, <laughs> and you make a rookie mistake like hitting reply all, there is possibly no more embarrassing example I could put forward. But the response I got back from people was just a beautiful sense of encouragement, a bit of fun and levity attached to it. And kind of a lightening of, you know, the heaviness that was existing in the building at that particular yeah. time. And, you know, afterwards I had people come up to me and say that was that was so great, A, that you didn't have time to prepare your notes in the morning and you just spoke from the heart, but also B, that you were prepared to kind of call out that you'd made a mistake and, you know, you were poking a bit of fun at yourself, but at the same time letting us know nothing grave is going to happen if you staff up at work. Acknowledge your mistake, learn from it and work differently in response to it. Well, that's lovely. What a great story, Jill. That's terrific. I love it. I got tingles up my spine. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? How you know, it's a small human thing, yeah. isn't it? In many ways. But uh, tell me this: so when you got up and then told it in the auditorium mm. as the story of mm. the thing that happened, mm. what do you, what was the the feeling, or did you get a sense of the response, or maybe even after the event uh, when you did the, told the story in the auditorium? Yeah, I think part of it. Uh, Part of the response I got was the way in which I approached it, which was to poke a bit of fun at myself. Yeah, right. So there was shared laughter. Self-deprecation. We love it, don't we? There was shared laughter. And I yeah. said, could you imagine doing this? <laughs> yeah. What a rookie. Yeah. Everyone laughed. Yeah. Um, there were lots of nodding heads when I said, you know, sometimes you can be really fearful about making a mistake, but actually I have found, particularly in World Vision, and it exists in other organisations, but particularly where we work, that what you're usually met with is support and encouragement. And so, you know, we have been having conversations as an executive team about our strategic direction, wanting to be a learning organisation, how you innovate, and to innovate you have to be comfortable with failure. And you can't be comfortable with failure if you have a fear of making a mistake. And so I thought this is just such a tiny little example, but it's a good um demonstration of uh you know the fact that you can make mistakes it's okay to be vulnerable and poke fun at yourself as well and just because i am part of the leadership team doesn't mean i'm infallible we all know that <laughs> but you know as it's a, nice to be reminded <laughs> it's nice to be reminded <laughs> and to be okay with that yeah yeah fantastic well thanks jill we're gonna have fun we're gonna mark and i are gonna chat about the story and all the things we love about it so uh Thanks again for coming along on our podcast. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Hey, that, that was a great uh, great little story there. And um, it's fantastic just to hear some of our customers talk about, you know, how they're using storytelling, right? Yeah. And of course, Jill attended one of our programs many years ago. And so she's had a bit of practice. Yes. Applying yeah. storytelling. And it's great to 
great to see that she's doing it and getting some great results. Yeah, and just sort of that habit of storytelling, right? That's one of the things we're always talking about. How do you develop that that habit so it comes naturally? And obviously, Jill has been practicing because there she is on stage with very little practice, telling a very effective story. Yeah, indeed. Now, as we would like to do it, Mark, of course, we'll start off by just talking about things that we really love in that story, you know, what, what worked for us. Let's pull it apart a little bit and dig in. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, things that make it better and where you can use it. So for you, what do you reckon? What are some of the big things that stand out for you? The first thing is vulnerability. Just a story about a mistake showing vulnerability and how powerful that is to demonstrate your character. She could have told any story, but she chose to tell one about a mistake, show vulnerability and had really good response from that. Yeah. And you've probably done the same thing as I have around the world and just watched people share stories and stories about vulnerability. I've never seen somebody's character do anything other than increase in the eyes of the listener when you share a story about a moment when you made a mistake. Yeah. It's It's, it's great for senior leaders, isn't it? I mean, they, they need to have that in their back pocket, right? Totally. And I love the fact that this is something that happened the day before. Ah, exactly. And then the next day, she's rolled it into, you know, a town hall meeting. That's a skill. Yeah, the ability to to notice the moment and as an opportunity to make a point. Yes. And it wasn't complicated. It wasn't, you know, a big story. And this is what we love. We're we're big proponents of uh, small S storytelling. So this fits nicely into that sort of category, doesn't it? Yeah. So a, a, a small story about a mistake that had a big impact. Yeah. It's a great little combination and something that every, everybody can pay attention or not pay attention to, but it's like a, a lesson for all of us. Indeed. Now, one of the things I stood out for me in that story was there was actually quite a lot of dialogue. Did you notice that? Yeah. I When I listened to it for the first time, I wrote down some of the dialogue. Really? Yeah. The, the uh, board member saying... Uh, I don't want to make a fuss about it. Yes. Uh, the question that Jill asked the group at the start of her presentation when she said, right. have any of you ever been nervous about making a mistake? Those little bits of dialogue, they really enhance the story. Yeah, as soon as you hear dialogue, you as a listener, you feel you're right there. You're sort of part of the... It's like you're the, the, the other person in the huddle who's part of that conversation, right? Yeah. Of course, you don't want to take dialogue too far. No. Oh, she said this, and then I said that, and she said this, and I... And that, really runs out of steam very, very quickly. Yes. But just selective use of important pieces of dialogue really enhances. Yeah. I like to how she starts the um, her presentation with a question, you know, you know getting them to think about that uh, those moments where they've made mistakes. It's just a nice segue into her to be able to you know, talk about what happened to her. So that I think that's another great element of this. Yeah, and for those people who are, thinking about preparing a presentation, one of the great ways to start is with a provocative question like that. Yeah, indeed. So we've got dialogue, we've got that, uh, you know, humility and the vulnerability that was, she was showing. Um, I think there's a another element of this. I mean, in, in some ways, this story is told in two parts, right? And I kind of said it in, in the question I asked at the very beginning, kind of set it up that way because I sort of said, okay, Jill, what do we need to know to understand this story? So she gave us the backstory. Yeah, right? the Sulawesi cyclone story. Exactly. So there was the emergency and, and all the things that came together for that. And you just 
hearing that story, you get a really good feel for the frenetic environment they would have been in, right? And the high-profile delegation, including Tim Costello, the, yeah, their yeah. ambassador. Indeed. So you sort of, I think that backstory really does set things up nicely just to hear the relatively s- small story, but the big impact it has. Right? Well, I guess all of that helps set the con- context for pushing the, report, the reply all. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It makes sense when you hear all that. Exactly. Right? You, know, you can sort of go, yeah, I, I could have done that quite easily. <laughs> the, um, I suppose uh, in terms of um, you know, other things that really make this story stand out, um, I would say probably, you know, having a, a few names, you know, like Tim Costello, you know, for those people who know that name, that immediately sort of adds some extra credibility to your story. And it's all the detail, you know, it's a Sulawesi, it's, you know, it's, you know, everyone coming together in the headquarters. We could probably have a little bit more detail there, I would say, you know, in that telling, uh, in terms of where that is. And maybe give us a bit of a picture of what it is. Is it a big, is it a big room with lots of people and with desks and, you know, phone calls going on or, you know, what is yeah, it? Like what does a, it like, look like? Like an operations centre. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, but what, what do you think of some of the other things you think could make this story a little bit better? Well, I, I guess uh, the the obvious one is duration. It could, that story could be told, uh, shorter. Yes. Now, yeah. I'm not saying it should be, no. but there is an opportunity to right. tell that story in a in a more condensed version. Yeah. And you know, that I think that would come to once you really understood why you were telling the story, right? Um, and we talk about this before, you know, once you know the point of your story, you tend to drive towards that point and things get crunched down a little bit more to get to that end point, right? That's right. And so Jill was very clear on the point of telling the story in the town hall meeting. Yes. But in responding in the in the in the setup, because you asked her that question about what do we need to know, and that bit hadn't been practiced. No, no. So she was just telling it off the top of her head. Absolutely. Yep. So again, being clearer on on the purpose of that original story could help to make it even yeah. shorter. And I think this this comes down to the question: is where would you tell this story, right? You know, the bigger story that she told with the background and then the action. And I think it's to be told when she's teaching other leaders about fast ways to build rapport using storytelling. I mean, it's a great example of the use of storytelling, right? And, you know, it's something that uh, once other leaders in an organisation start to get that idea of how you do it, it just adds a, you know, a, a capability that, that they could use in all sorts of situations, right? And I guess this, uh, for people listening to the podcast, this is what we're asking you guys to do as well, is, you know, keep your ear out. And, you know, you've got to have your senses going to sort of see what's happening so you can take something that happened yesterday and roll it into standing in front of your team the next day, right? Small things. I also think that it could be used in when she was trying to make a point about uh, agile, about changing oh, the organisation. Yeah. Well, it, when agile organisations try things and they don't always work out. Yes. So here, it's okay to do that. Just as an example. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so it's an important one. In fact, that's an example that you could use in any org. You could, in fact, use Jill's story. Yes. Um, in, in, a, in a very short, uh, a very short version, to share in any organisation the way you need to behave in order to uh, uh, to be able to be innovative. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And she makes that point, which is great. Now, I'm just thinking. Uh, 
uh, you know, and we at this point we typically go for our score. Well, before we go to the yeah. score, I think there's one more really important okay. aspect to what we just heard from Jill, yep. and that is the opportunity that that Jill provides us all in looking for those errors or, or being aware of those mistakes as opportunities to make a point. Because what often happens is that something happens, goes wrong, and we do want to cover it up. We do want to pretend it didn't happen. And I really loved what Jill said after she'd pushed the go button. She said, I didn't want to pretend that it didn't happen. Yeah, right. But most of us do. Yeah, sweep it under the carpet. We we won't talk about that again. And in the process of doing that, we miss an opportunity to have a fantastic story in our story bank. Yeah, true. So, and, and, and we... I, I do want to draw this out because it's not a point to be taken lightly because we all make mistakes. Now, we've heard that a thousand times and we do all make mistakes. But if we sweep them under the table and uh, we, we lose the opportunity to have those stories in our story bank and we also lose enormous opportunity to connect with people. So Robert Gialdini, World Expert on Influence, says we are most influenced by people who are like us. And if you're a leader and you stand on, on the stage and you share a story about a mistake, you're instantly like everyone in your organization. Everyone, everyone in your audience. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. So it's rather than sweep them under the table, look at them as potential opportunities to, to, to demonstrate your character. Yeah, that's no, a really good point. And it sort of relates also to in organizations. Of course, we're seeing a lot of uh, businesses now sort of uh, looking at ways to get their values out and sticking Indeed. in the organization. And this, is a, this type of thing gives an insight into a value. Uh, you know, that value of integrity. And I have seen, like, I've collected stories in organizations around that topic of integrity and I've heard some great mistake stories. Uh, the one that sort of springs to mind was for a bank, because banks are in the spotlight at the moment, but uh, this is a, a positive story, if you like, <laughs> about a bank. Um, it was about a young lawyer who had just joined the bank um, and he you know, did his first few pieces of work for other parts of the bank, you know, legal work. And on this one particular project, he realized he kind of submitted it, it all got signed off. He realized he'd made a mistake on it. And he did consider just leaving it. So it's one of those mistakes where it was a chance that people wouldn't notice? Yeah. He, in fact, there was more than a good chance ah. that no one would notice, right? So he thought to himself, ah, you know, look, I can let that slide. But then he thought, well, is that the lawyer I want to be? Is that the type of lawyer? And he went, no, it's not, that's not what I'm going to say. Yeah, it was some embarrassment. He had to go up to his boss and say, look, I've made this error. And for some embarrassment for his boss, he had to go over to the client, internal client, sort of say, look, we've made the mistake. But you know what? Both those senior leaders eventually turned around to him and said, this is exactly what we want. This is right down the line of what our values are all about. And you've done the right thing. And, you know, they, they praised him for it. So... I don't know. It's again, you know, you, you show not only your vulnerability, but you show your humanity. You show, you know, that you've got these great values just to be able to, you know, get yeah. these mistakes. This is what this value looks like in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It's concrete. Yeah. Yeah. yeah love it. Love it. Right. Now, ratings. Rating, let's do that. Uh, look, I brought the story along, so how about you kick off with the rating? Okay, well, what, one of the things I absolutely loved about that is the illustration it gives to everybody about how easy it is to take a mistake and turn into a, a really cool story. Yep. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. Seven, yeah. I, I had that in my mind as well. Seven, it gives you a nice uh, sort of model 
what to do. Um, it was a nice story to listen to. I know when I was sitting there listening to the story, I, and I think I said it in the recording, I had tingles, tingles. up the spine. So, and you know, um, it was just a very nice story to hear. So It's I kind of a good thing from a story. It is. If you have that sort of reaction, you should be noticing those sort of stories. I is think. that the story describes what happens? A good story helps the listener picture what happens, and a great story helps the listener feel what happens. What yeah, happened. Yeah, that's it. Terrific. Well... Just well, a quick reminder about our events page on our website. If you do want to attend one of our workshops somewhere around the globe, please have a look at the uh, at the events page because we've got quite a list up there for the rest of 2019. Yeah, it should be good to getting involved in all that. Well, I think we'll just wrap things up. So thanks, everyone, for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And again, tune in next week for yet another story, another episode on how to put stories to work. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.